Happy Hump Day, bingers. My guest today is an Australian journalist turned podcaster. During her time as a journalist, she discovered a shocking story which later became the focus of her podcast. She hosts The Nurse. Please welcome Camille Bianchi. The internet's full of true crime podcasts. More and more are added to the list every day. Figuring out where to start or where to go next can be overwhelming. But have no fear, I'm here to help. I'm Bob Ruff, and this is the place to find your next true crime binge. So right before we started recording, Camille, you told me that you pronounce your own name wrong. Um, so, so how is it you said I couldn't, how do the French pronounce your name? Uh, I'm not even French. So I, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm right as far as my parents are concerned, but, um, they say Camille and I say Camille, but, um, <laughs> I love it's how just the French lazy. say it. <laughs> Can we agree? The French are lazy. They're not, they're not pronouncing the L's. They're just, the they, it's lazy. too many letters. Yeah. Very lazy people. Uh, so this is Camille Bianchi, Bianchi. The second one. Yeah. Bianchi. Bianchi. See, now you're not pronouncing the H. So I'm bogenizing the Italian too. too. So I say Bianchi, but it's Bianchi. Yeah. Bianchi. <laughs> <laughs> so you are obviously, if people could tell from your voice and from your podcast, obviously you're from Australia. Are you Are you born and raised in Australia or are you? did you move down there when they sent all the prisoners down? No, I'm not a convict, but um, my parents, <laughs> my parents met, um, my parents are actually foreigns. They're Canadian and Italian and they met in Saudi Arabia. And I came over here with my sisters, all of us, when I was uh, pretty young, so like six. So you've been there pretty much your, your whole life you've been in Australia. Pretty much. What part of Australia are you in? Also know that I don't know anything about Australia, but I'm still going to ask the question, what part? I'm in the bit you've probably seen. So, you know, the Opera House. Uh-huh. Well, the Opera no. House is like that zigzaggy <laughs> building. Oh, see. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I actually yeah. do know it's that. It's like yeah. the only famous building in Australia. <laughs> so. Um, the Harbour Bridge and the Opera House is kind of what people think of when they think of Sydney. And uh, that's like opposite the water to my place. Okay. So sit, you're, near, you're in Sydney? Yeah, Sydney. Okay. See, I know where Sydney is. I mean, I know there's a, I am aware of that there is a country called Australia and that there's a city in that country called Sydney. I'm not sure I could find it on a map. Me neither. So <laughs> you're halfway there. <laughs> <laughs> but someday I, I really want to visit Australia bad. I went to high, uh, college. I had a, an exchange student from Australia that was from New South Wales. That's a place, right? Well, Sydney is in New South Wales, so like a okay. state. Yeah, New South Wales is the state. Yeah, he was from he was from New, New South Wales, and he always would send us pictures when he would go visit home, and it looked beautiful down there. Or it is very pretty. There. We're very spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> up, down, who knows? <laughs> Okay, so you you have this podcast called The Nurse. You've been doing it for over a year, or just just over a year, right now, right? Started October last year. Yeah, so so I I got a tip about what was happening in a hospital in a place called Tasmania. For context, Tasmania is the little island on the bottom of Australia. So if mm-hmm. if you can't find Sydney on the map, you might not find Tassie either. It's very small. But I got a tip from that's where- that place where that little devil lives. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, the Tassie Devil. <laughs> so the Tassie yeah. Devil's the animal, and um, yeah. So 
I got a tip in February in 2020, so before the pandemic was really a thing in Australia and um, so it was summer and then it took me about mm, until October, until mid-October to even publish a first episode. So that was just an investigation period. Oh, nice. And uh, so are you in, I know parts of, I, I, you're, you're like the third or fourth Australian podcaster I've spoken to and everybody's been in different parts. Is Are you in the part that was locked down so tight and, and yeah, are, are you guys still locked down or are things starting to loosen up? Well, Melbourne was the bad one. So Melbourne was locked down a big chunk of 2020 when Sydney were living La Vida Loca. And then we were kind of like, oh, poor Melbourne. And then this year we were locked up for like four and a half months. I mean, I say locked up, that's hyperbole. It was a pretty nice life. Like we just couldn't go to shops and stuff for a while, like couldn't sort of do social activities. And we have been free for two weeks, which is really delightful. Oh, nice. Is the, uh, is the infection rate down down pretty low? Or like, are you guys back to normal life? Or are you still like distancing and wearing masks and all that? Well, if you're talking numbers, it's so, uh, it's apples and oranges because our population is so much smaller and we're so isolated. But um, we don't, uh-huh. we haven't at any point had a high tolerance for case numbers. So we've always had pretty low numbers. So when we talk about numbers, you guys are probably like, what? But at its highest in Sydney, it was like, 2000 a day and to us that was like <gasps> four door alarms and then now we're down mm-hmm. to just a couple of hundred and sydney's five million people so i mean it's pretty low oh well that's really good is is the vaccination rate pretty high there i know people are probably sick of hearing about the pandemic but i'm always curious different cultures totally like america to well, we, we thought that we would not necessarily have the uptake we did because we had a super slow start and our government was really slow with the vaccine rollout. So we didn't have pretty much anything going until middle of the year. And then all of a sudden it went gangbusters because all the states and territories started rolling out all these incentives. So you have a situation in Sydney and Melbourne at the moment anyway, where if you're not fully vaccinated with a COVID vaccine, you can't go to pubs, bars, restaurants, mm-hmm. movies, anything. Um, and some workplaces. So we're coming up to, I think it's 90% have one dose and we're soon in New South Wales anyway, going to hit fully vaccinated 90% and that'll be national pretty soon, I think. That's great. Yeah, we have, in America, we can find anything to fight about. I don't remember who it was, but somebody I was was listening to several months ago was, was like, you know, this may be the perfect example of how America is like, if there's anything that should have brought our country together, it's a global pandemic. And still we find, we sign, we draw a line in the sand and every single issue and, and fight about it. So, the, so now that's the, the big issue here is people that don't want to, and the people that think they should, and people that want a mandate and people who don't want a mandate. And I'm just, I live out in the country, so I don't see people. So it doesn't matter for me, but I've had the shot. You know? Yeah, we're pretty compliant. I think people think of Aussies as rebels, but we're very compliant. Yeah, it, it's it's which it is impressive because the 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 whole country, the continent, was kind of populated originally. Is that is that BS or is that is that legitimate? That no, it's it was, true. It was <laughs> well, English I mean, convicts. They <laughs> British convicts. Yeah. yeah, yeah, were were sent there as like a giant prison island, and here you guys are just following the rules. I know it's ironic, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so your background, um, I want to. So you started off as a finance journalist. 
I mean, I've dabbled. So, I mean, it's probably similar for everywhere, but TV is is mainly my thing and I've I've more dabbled between the different mediums. And then I got into finance journalism through real estate. So I did a bunch, like I kind of had a sabbatical from news and did corporate real estate presenting, which was a weird segue out of the industry. And then I went back. Yeah. And then, I mean, I say I'm finance light because I'm not, I'm not sort of a hectic CNBC type. But yeah, I, I suppose that's kind of an interest area. You, you kind of pick little specialties along the way. I found that a lot of uh, people that I've interviewed from Australia have like very diverse backgrounds. You know, I, I've, I've just um, recently interviewed um, was it Jamie Poots? I think what it was, uh, he was a, a, a police officer and now he like sells soap. Like people, like people just bounce from career to career down there. It seems like it's a lot easier to change paths for some reason in Australia than it is in America. I think just less competition. And we kind of, I don't know, like I think culturally there's a, a little bit more flippancy, which, which I like because I can, I sort of can flip to, to different things as well. But it's that kind of career though, right? You're the same because weren't you a fireman and now you're doing podcasting? Yeah. That's pretty wild. <laughs> yeah, it's insane. But that's the thing is like like for me doing this here, like I'm, I was a maniac. Like now I'm five years past it. So people are just like, oh, Bob's a podcaster now. But, but yeah, when I was like, I'm leaving the fire department to go be a podcaster, people thought I, would, I had lost my ever-loving mind for doing that because you don't change out of careers like that. Certainly not government jobs. You'd be considered mad here for that as well, I think, <laughs> as well. Yeah. Yeah. As I always say, anybody that thinks that I was, I was stupid for leaving a government job to work for myself has never worked for the government because it's not as great as people think it is. So you uh, looking through – oh, I want to – why we were on the topic of the – so do you have a background in finance or that was just something that – I need, some, I need some, some investing advice is why I'm asking. Oh, God. Don't go to a journalist. Um, <laughs> I'd need money to invest and I can't give you any advice. Um, it's funny, <laughs> right. I was literally just talking about this with someone. Um, no, don't go here. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> Not the place. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't recommend many, uh, many journals for financial advice having said that. Yeah. Uh, it's, well, so Erica wrote on my, on my show notes that I should ask you about cryptocurrency. Uh, because, <laughs> because oh, sweet Erica. I have. <laughs> <laughs> I well, she, really she admire brought... her optimism. <laughs> so, so I, I'm always off the air, always talking about uh, investments that I have in a bunch of cryptos. And yes, yeah, she, she wrote in my, I have it highlighted in here that maybe you can ask her about cryptocurrency because I bother everybody else with it. Oh, Do you know anything about crypto? Is the is is the bull run still on? Sure. Camille? Oh God, I'm embarrassing. Sure. <laughs> I'm embarrassingly bad with crypto. All I know is that I mean. A bunch of people are investing in it, which is scary because I think, isn't it the adage mm -hmm. that as soon as sort of, and it's kind of snotty, but as soon as like everyone down the street is talking too much about something like Bitcoin, it's time to get out. And that's kind of, right. <laughs> that's my take on yeah, it. Yeah. So it's, so it's funny, like my investing, I mean, I have like retirement stuff, but I've been like dabbling in this and my, my investing strategy is always to do the opposite of the herd. So like earlier this year, there was like, it was really dumping and everybody was selling off everything. And so that's when I started buying a bunch of stuff. And then now it's starting to go back up. And now it's getting to that point now where everybody's like, oh, I think, you know, Bitcoin's going to go to $100,000. And I'm like, well, maybe now it's time to get out because usually it, usually it falls off a cliff, right? When everybody thinks it's going to go up. Either that. So see, you gave me, gr gave me great financial advice. 
I'll take it. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, so tell me about how do you, 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 you were in, you were a journalist, you did finance stuff, and then you said you really got into the TV space. And then how did the podcast come about? <sighs> did you do this completely independently? Did you have somebody that came to you with it? Completely by accident. So, um, I mean, as you get an idea, like I was saying with the finance stuff was almost an accident too, is it's quite a, a broad brush industry with TV. You kind of turn up on the day and you get assigned a story. Anyway, that's kind of what you get used to doing. And I mean, it would be fair to say a lot of people in that industry and daily news always want to do longer form to hook their, you know, stick their teeth into something a little bit um, with a bit more control and that they can really pursue. And I got a tip from someone I had known because I was a journalist in Tassie when I lived down there because you do your time in the regions usually in Australia when you start out. So you do uni and then you you spend a year or two out bush and then you cut your teeth and then you come back to the city. So I knew someone from down there who contacted me and had this wild story. And they're like, are you still a journalist? They sent me this message and I was like, yes. And then I had this crazy phone call and I kind of sat with it and went, I mean, wild if true, but is it true? And it was about mm-hmm. this um, this pedophile who'd been operating as a pediatric nurse for 20 years and, um, you know, this source was saying there'd been a big cover-up and all this stuff and, yeah, turns out he was, um, he was covered up and that source was right. So what made you decide, did you originally want to do it just as a, as some kind of news story for TV or did you always think like, oh, this would be a good podcast? I mean, neither really. Like I just got it and it wasn't something I was in a position to do because there's very much a hierarchy with that stuff, at least in this country where, you know, you have your trusted journalists and you have sort of, you know, the people that get those kind of stories because a lot of it is, I think um, to a degree it is contacts and people that come to you over time and, and, you know, big stories Bigger to bigger stories, as as you'd know, you know right. things um, that you put out there. So, I mean, it was out of the blue, and I, I brought it to some bosses at different places. I'd worked in TV because um, I just, you know, I'm a daily news reporter, and I mean, legally, it was a nightmare. It was going to be a lot of work for not necessarily a full fleshed out story, and like format wise, podcasts like. It's not something a lot of the main publishers or broadcasters are doing here. And again, if you're a really high profile person um, or journalist, rather, you can get that stuff commissioned. And I just couldn't get it commissioned, basically. So I was speaking with these um, survivors of this person's abuse. And, you know, it was without doubt at this point, after a month or two, I was like, they're never going to get their day in court. And Mm-hmm. I want to give them that power back and how am I even going to do this? So I did the really crazy thing and published it myself, which is right. wild. Um, I mean, I'm glad I did, but I wouldn't recommend it at the same time because it's it's a very expensive way of going about things. It, it's quite unusual. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, once you, you're able to do it successfully, because I was kind of in the same boat, you know, I just, I did my show by myself, just put it out there with some stuff that I bought on Amazon. And it's so hard at the beginning. But then once you're like, you have an audience and it's going, it's like, well, I'm glad I'm not. I, I have other friends that, you know, are working for other big production companies. And it, 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 it's all of a sudden they've lost some creative control. And there's just a whole lot that comes with having, uh, you know, it's nice to have that financial backing at the beginning. But there, there's a, definitely a downside to it later. Oh, for sure. So, I mean, the challenge of this whole process has been, 
because um, I have a lawyer, I mean, it's really important with something like this. It's legally really hairy. I had to, I mean, just the grunt work involved in an investigation like that. I was kind of, you know, paying my rent um, and still am with my, you know, daily news stuff and then doing something like this on the side which is a misnomer because it, it's so all-encompassing. So it right. was a very challenging 18 months, but I, I'm glad. I'm really glad. But, yeah, the creative control is brilliant. Any, do you have a family? Um, I mean, I don't have kids. I, I have a boyfriend, and so I'm kind of responsible for, for no little bit ones, which is helpful. <laughs> I think it would have been right. really hard being a parent. <laughs> right. Yeah, well, that's I was wondering, you know, taking on something like that. I did it when I had, you know, a wife and four kids at home. How? And, yeah, which is why, well, that's why I was recording in my garden shed at the time, because there was, you know, two German shepherds and four kids. There was never a quiet place anywhere. And everybody's like, oh, go in your closet or your basement. I'm like, they're in there. If I go in my closet, there'll be a dog pawing at the door and a kid whining for something. They're just, they're really a, they're really a downer when you're trying to make a podcast. Especially if you're doing, if you're talking about something really heavy and then it's like dad or something and you're like, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Uh, So when you decided you were going to make the podcast out of it, had you had any experience in audio at all? Like, where did you get your equipment? How did you figure out how to (laughs) edit the podcast? (laughs) <laughs> I didn't. I just, it's so, it's so crazy to think about because I literally just was like, oh, I mean, I can't afford because I'd already tried in the past to kind of do some of my own projects with docos and stuff. And I mean, you trying to self fund something like that is just a fool's errand. And this, I was mm-hmm. like, oh, podcast, that'll be easier if I do it this way. Cause I knew that I had mm-hmm. to put information out and get some back before I could really, um, I suppose, get some information for these people. And um, to satisfy myself as to what was going on down there. So anyway, so um, I was like, okay, it has to be a series. So I opened a Google to- Google page and was like, how do people write podcasts? And then I um, <laughs> called some friends who thankfully had better answers than that who have done similar stuff. And then they're like, here's uh-huh. the editor you need to pay. Here's the lawyer you need. Here's the animator for your graphics. And I was like, outsource, great. So I just um, started sort of transcribing the interviews I did and I did them on a thing called Zencaster, which someone told me about, which is just like a browser-based recorder. And then right. I record in studio. So I have access to studios, which is great for my own voiceover because I think audio is king. But I don't have the equipment myself. so Right. Oh, so, so you, that definitely was an expensive adventure for you. So you, you outsourced everything as far as the editing and, and studio space and stuff like that. I wanted it, even though it was me publishing it, I wanted it to sound pro. And so I used professionals and I'm really glad I did because I think if it's, yeah, yeah, you know, you know, if you want to, you want to do it, you want to do it well. Right. Yeah. That, that's so like, I, I think I'm just thinking in my own situation. Like if I go back and listen to the first entire season of truth and justice, which was serial dynasty back then, it's like, it's awful. Like I'm using a, a $30 microphone. I have no, like, I learned how to do everything like on YouTube. I'm like, how do you make a podcast? And there was like a 12-year-old kid that's like, well, you want to download this software and get this equipment. I'm like, well, that sounds super easy. And so it, and so then eventually as we got a little bigger, I ended up hiring Mike to do our editing, but he's not he was one of my firemen. I was the chief and he was a, he was one of my firemen. And neither one of us had a freaking clue what we were doing. And we just learned along the way. That's uh amazing. and so we yeah, so many podcasters have that, you know, don't listen to my first 10 episodes because they're awful, but you you went right into it and just started producing 
That makes sense. That, that's why I was asking you if you had, when I was listening to your first episode, like I, w- I was wondering if you had a background or whatever, because it sounded so good. And oh, nobody's first you. podcast sounds good. Yeah, it sounds great. That's because of Mark Wright, my editor. But um, the, biggest, <laughs> look, the biggest worry for me and the biggest stress was I knew it would be a potentially massive news story because of what I was discovering, which was hectic because um, I had such a long lead time. And I was like, okay, it's going to be at least, you know, big news down there in Tassie. And it, it turned out to be extraordinarily big news just because this developed and developed. I don't know how much you've, you've listened to the series, but it turns out that there was uh, very much more than one pediatric nurse. But um, anyway, so I was like, okay, so it has to sound good and I have to structure it so that it is respectful because it's, it's such a, a grueling and heavy topic for those involved and I want to respect them, but also it has to be compelling. So it's like mm-hmm. it, it's the biggest kind of question mark over all of it as to whether I've done that because I've had feedback on both sides and, you know, some people think I've been a little bit too true crimey and a bit flippant and then others Others love that, but I think it very much depends on what your involvement in this story is. But it's it was a real challenge with a topic like this. Yeah, and it's tough too getting into so like what you were just said the different the, the feedback coming out of both directions. It's 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 so hard, especially when you're starting out, because you know you're reading reviews to make to see how people are receiving it and how and how it's going, and then then you see, you know you you'll get two bad reviews out of you know. 10,000 people listening to it and you're like, oh, well, I'm doing something wrong. And it's, it's, it, p- people definitely are not shy, especially during the pandemic when they had nothing else to do of, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to get on social media and I'm going to let Camille know that I don't like her podcast. I'm going to continue listening to her podcast every week for so free. that I can continue to, <laughs> for free. So that I can t- continue to tell her every week how much I don't like her podcast. And then you know you've really made it big when that person gets so upset. They're like, you know what? I'm going to start a counter podcast that, that tells everything that, that Camille is doing wrong in her podcast. Has that happened to you? I've had that uh, three times now. The third one, just <laughs> there's always like a fa- – every single season, there's a faction of listeners that hate me and hate everything I do. And, and, and now, now three of them have started their own like and it always because as you know making a podcast is hard and it takes a lot of time they're always like oh this jackass i'm gonna i'm gonna show them what the truth is and like three weeks in they're like well this is a lot of work and no one's listening so i'm gonna stop doing this because we all go through that time right when you put it out did did you have when you put it out did you have those first several episodes where it was like no one's listening and you start to question every choice you've ever made in your life no, you know, it's super weird. I think it's it's completely different for me because I'm not kind of doing an every week ongoing thing. It was meant to be isolated and then it just kept growing by accident. It was meant to be this eight-part series and I ended up four months later coming back with series two and then that's been, I think, seven episodes. So there's the eight-episode first series, seven episode seven because it's the same investigation just going and going. But it was right. big from the start because I had a friend of mine who's a brilliant journalist do a write-up of the story because mm-hmm. I'm not a print journal and I was just like, you'll do a better job. You can summarize or whatever. Anyway, she did this great right. splash and was just like plugged the podcast in it on um, the main news site, news.com.au, and mm-hmm. then that got a ton. So out of the gates, and it was such a kind of a, a crazy story that it was just kind of like massive. But so I was more the other way where the morning it was coming out, I kind of knew it would be, and I say big, like I mean big in Australia, but. 
I threw up the day it came out just because it's like, <laughs> oh no! I was like, what if it's awful? Because <laughs> <Right. laughs> I don't have a, I don't have a sub editor. I don't have anyone helping except my beautiful audio editor. But I mean, no one's giving me feedback. And um, uh-huh. I mean, I don't read the comments because I don't find them helpful. I take comments from people who are either involved or colleagues or people who I'm like, you, yeah. you've put your name out to something before. You know what I mean? You can uh-huh. look at that source yeah. a little bit differently. But that was scary. It's like, <sighs> I bet. So, so, so afraid that you, you vomited on the day it launched. <laughs> that was more to do with, I think, the kind of the many layers of the impact of that story. And the effect it would have on the uh-huh. community just because it was like, and I now know that that was probably a proportionate reaction on my end because that was a reaction a lot of people who opened their paper that day would have had um, or, you know, turn on the podcast just because this person was like a really beloved community figure and I named him. And Right. I, I I love it. I love how bold you are with it. And, and, then, and then what it has become, which it seems to be, it's like a place for these survivors to come forward and tell their stories. There's so many people, they just don't, they're afraid to, they don't have the space to do it. They're, it's not received well, but like you have, you have like provided the safe space for survivors to come forward. I mean, the first person to do it, I can't claim it because the first kind of the reason that this was even able to happen is a friend of mine, actually the journalist I just spoke about who wrote, did that write up. She actually changed the law in Tasmania and the Northern Territory, and I think there was a different state, with the Let Us Speak campaign. And um, that allowed survivors to come forward, and her work in this area has been incredible. My kind of going in at it was specifically what I now know to be fact, which was my suspicion of a multi-level cover-up of um, institutional child sexual abuse and really cool timing with this interview because today was the launch of the Royal Commission. so. I mean, once that kind of the coverage that came from from the podcast last year, um, the local media picked up and all this stuff happened and there was one parliamentary inquiry announced and then that wasn't good enough. There was another one and then it became a Royal Commission and I don't I don't know what the equivalent is there. It's maybe like a Senate inquiry for you guys. Mm-hmm. Sounds like it, yeah. But anyway, so it's it's the launch of that was today and they have summoned 21 thousand documents from government institutions they have heard from 111 witnesses and they were summarizing what the public hearings are going to be and it was pretty crazy hearing it all like it was like hearing the grown-ups in the room because you know you're kind of toiling on this stuff on your own and you're making I mean I always had Uh a lot of witnesses come forward and things but I wasn't getting access to documents so at, at different junctures I was like am I going out on a limb and I knew I wasn't, but to hear kind of, you know, the adults today just be like, oh, yeah, yeah, systematic cover-ups, corruption, this, this, this. And I'm like, oh. So how does that feel knowing that, like, this project that you did independently has n- not only drawn so much attention to this, but it's, you're making real change. I mean, th- your government is making changes because of what you've exposed. I mean – It's cool. I mean, great. I'm really proud of it. But then um, it would be kind of gross to claim it just for me because, I mean, as you know with anything, I mean, I've got the whistleblower who came to me who I credit with all of it, but really also the survivors and sources that came to me that have been so generous. And I mean, not just in speaking and telling their story, but 
in being actively helpful. And a lot of the times right. these people are risking their careers and I can't understate that. And, I mean, just the the darkness of this subject matter and some of the tenacity of even local media and following this stuff, like if they hadn't picked up the ball once I threw it in, um, this wouldn't be happening either. So it, I would feel a little bit gross being like, yeah, <laughs> it's because of this yeah. only. I, I'm, I'm really proud of it though. You were incredibly modest, but I mean, the, the fact is that you did pick up the ball and you did throw it in and this, this was happening for, for years and years and years before you finally stepped in and, and told the story. I mean, it just, like I said, the, the thing I like the most about, it, and I think that my audience will like the most is just it to me, like bold is the best word for it, because especially it sounds like in, in the culture in Australia for you to come out and, and name the name is the, the, this predator's name is James Griffin. And you, you named the name, you told the story and, and affected real change. And I just, I, I, th- I think it's awesome. I think that's for so many in the true crime space that are trying to, you know, legitimately make a difference that, you know, all of us are hats off to you. Cause it's like, you did it. I mean, you, you made a difference. Well, we'll see. We'll see what the difference is. So um, the outcome of the Royal Commission, so they hand down a report and then recommendations are made. What What is exciting is I know that um, criminal proceedings are happening with the predators that I wasn't able to name because Australia has extraordinary defamation laws. And I mean, mm-hmm. it's a double-edged sword because part of me is grateful for that as well because you have to be watertight. So I need five accounts of every claim. Um, five uh-huh. credible witnesses, which is which is a lot um, mm-hmm. for every kind of thing. But, yeah, there's no chance. I mean, Griffin naming him, even, I mean, in Tassie you can even be the subject of a defamation suit naming a dead person, which is something that isn't uh-huh. in any other jurisdiction. So, I mean, it's, it's all a legal nightmare. But <laughs> as long yeah. as you're telling the truth, as long as you're telling the truth. Right. Yeah. I, the truth is the defense, right? But for any, any type of defamation, slander, libel, anything like that. I, have you had anybody try to come after you? I mean, I've had thinly veiled kind of threats and I've had a lot of like what we say is white anting to my sources behind my back. Like, oh, you know, that, that thing she said, she's, you know, she's lying or she's, you know, she's making a leap and, and then they try and undermine you in subtle ways. And hearing, I mean, hearing the Royal Commissioner kind of launch hearing today was really vindicating for a number of reasons because I mean look especially if you're on your own you're so you'd be a bit of a psycho if you didn't question yourself and if you didn't question your judgment Mm -hmm. so to have like yeah like the adults in your corner so to speak it's a good feeling yeah that's awesome so tell us about the case so that so season one or, or series one of the nurse uh, starts off co- covering the case of James Griffin. So kind of give us the basics of the case. What 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 can people expect to hear about on the, on the podcast? I mean, I can lay it all out what happens, or do you expect people will listen to it? <laughs> because that depends <laughs> on how I say it. <laughs> well, it's, yeah, here you go. It's your opportunity well, to pitch it. <laughs> you know what? It, it'll be pretty obvious out of the gate. I'll just give you the broad overview. Um, so... In 2019, a um, paediatric nurse of 20 years who had been at Launceston General Hospital died by suicide and the circumstances in which he died um, were strange um, but also mm-hmm. his colleagues were really confused and they didn't, 
they didn't really know what was going on because he'd been away from work. Um, there were just a lot of unanswered questions. Anyway, it turns out that he had been um, accused of having had an enduring, um, I guess, I suppose, enduring sexual abuse of a minor. That was the first charge brought against him. And there were mm-hmm. other ones. So this was in 2019 when a uh, girl I've called Alice was brave enough to lay the first charges and that had a ripple effect. Four other women came forward. Anyway, what should have happened there, what should have happened is that he was stood down from his workplace immediately and, you know, a full investigation launched and public, I suppose, consultations because what ended up being the case is that um, after a bit of digging, it was very clear that everyone was left in the dark, including a generation, you know, a generation of patients who had been in his care. And now, sadly, we know that he was um, abusing children on the ward as he, in his time as a mm-hmm. pediatric nurse, and he got himself into that position for that reason. So his abuses predate that job, and then, I mean, he was prolific. So the allegations extend from the late 80s to 2019. And then, yeah, it it just, the investigation I was doing snowballed because as soon as I started publishing, because I thought it would be the story of this one nurse and what um, Mm -hmm. I believed to be a cover-up by his employer, and it wasn't just one nurse. And I definitely want the audience to hear the full story. So we'll, we'll leave it at that as far as the details of the story, because you need to hear these these survivors speaking and how the the entire story unfolds. This is a a multi layer conspiracy that Camille has uncovered throughout the podcast. So you definitely need to check it out. Listen to the whole thing. Her name is Camille Bianchi. The podcast is called The Nurse. Check it out, and I guarantee you it'll be your next true crime binge. Thank you so much, Camille, for taking the time to sit down with me and and telling me all about how things are going in the land down under. Oh, it was my pleasure. I don't stay up past 10 for anyone, so it's it's Yeah, people people should know. This was this 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 recording is is terribly inconvenient for both of us. It's 8 in the morning my time, which is usually when I'm still working out before work. And Camille, it's what 11 11:30 now for you in Australia. But I'm still delighted. It was a pleasure. I I am too. And actually, you're the first person from Australia that I interviewed where we're in the same day. That we're both in Tuesday. Usually, it's it's the next day when I'm talking. So we just scraped in. Yeah, it's it's great to meet you. Thank you so much. Congratulations on the podcast and all the work that you've accomplished through it. Binge is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Audioboom. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing. Music and artwork by Shane Yoder of PutThemInASong.com. Our website, TrueCrimeBinge.com, was created by Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com. If you're a listener and would like to recommend a future guest or a podcaster that would like to request an interview, you can do so right on our website. And again, that web address is TrueCrimeBinge.com. If you're enjoying the show, please do me a huge favor and take a minute to rate and review us on iTunes or whatever platform you're using to listen. And make sure you give us a follow on social media. We can be found everywhere at True Crime Binge. 
Thank you so much for listening and make sure you tune in next Wednesday morning for another podcaster, another case, and another true crime binge.